Good evening. So good to look out and see you tonight. Thankful that you have chosen to be with us as we come together to worship. Very thankful for the announcement that was made earlier that, that we're going to be uh, appointing elders and asking for names in the, uh, toward the end of the month of July. And we want to ask you to be praying about that every day. We want God's hand to be in that as we uh, continue to choose men to lead our congregation for God. So if you'd be praying about that, that would make a huge difference. And be thinking about that. Spend some time reading uh, 1 Timothy 3. Spend some time reading Titus chapter 2. And, and familiarize yourself and read the book of Acts where you see elders uh, working through that book. And start looking about what type of men does God want to help lead this congregation as we continue to want to do His will here and throughout the world. If you will, let's go to God in prayer as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, You are amazing and kind, and we're to, here today to worship You. And we're here tonight as we have this opportunity to encourage one another and also to see You. Lord, we know that there are many tonight who are hurting. We announce more today that have lost loved ones. And God, we pray that you will be with that family, be with the Fullers. Lord, we ask you to be with so many who need you right now. Lord, help all of us to be a light for you and to also for us to be your hands of comfort to those around who need it. Lord, give us eyes tonight that see your word and help us to see there what, what you would have us to learn so that we may do on this earth what you would have us to. Lord, help us to live in such a way that it draws people to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Who in the Bible would you like to meet? Of all the people you have read about, who is it that you would like to meet? And some of you may say, I'd like to meet David. David would be, in a, in, I think, a really interesting conversation. Probably for all of us, because he speaks Hebrew and most of us don't, so we probably wouldn't understand him anyway. Probably a challenging conversation. Uh, but actually, to meet him, to be able to understand, to me, would be incredible. What is it like to be king? What is it like to go toe-to-toe go, uh, -to -toe with a giant? What's it like to have struggles in your family? What's it like to live with regret? I mean, there's a lot we could ask David. You may say, hey, I, I'd like to talk to David, but I kind of like to talk to Noah. What would it be like to, to, to spend time with Noah and ask him about how, how exactly did you build that ark? How did you get the animals there? All these th questions you might have. Maybe saying, hey, Craig, I... I like to talk to Deborah and, and talk about what's like to be a judge, and or, or maybe I want to talk to Gideon and and talk about what it's like to have to take three hundred against an army, or or you may go through and say, "Hey, I, I really want to meet some of the apostles. I, I want to talk to them, or, or, or I'm going to talk to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and be like, what was it like and to to raise the Son of God, and and what was he like as a child, and and we could go on and on." Let me ask you a different question. Who, of all the people in the Bible, who do you admire the most? Many of us are going to say Jesus, but outside of Jesus, who, who is it you admire? Many people would say the Apostle Paul. There's different people whose name must come up. But I think there's someone tonight I want us to, I guess, learn more about and spend some time in. I think it may be a blessing, and if, it's, if we're not careful... 
we'll read right past it. In the book of Luke, we start out reading about who? About the promised birth of Jesus. If we read chapter 1, we'll read quite a bit about Jesus. If we read chapter 2, a whole lot about Jesus. All the way we go through his birth to his, him at 12 years old in Luke 2.52, we'll read that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and favor with man. But there's someone else there. And if we're not careful, we can blow right past it. We read about a family member of Jesus who's called John the Baptist. See, he's born right before Jesus, just a few months before him, and, and their life sort of parallels one another. And when I think about him, can I tell you, when you think about him, somebody who, who's never shaved, who's never cut his hair, who lives in the wilderness, who lives on locust and wild honey, it sounds like somebody you threaten your kids with. Don't go out in the woods, John the Baptist, to get you. I mean, it's something if you think about, <laughs> think about how scary it would be. But if you're going to admire someone besides Jesus, I, I would, I'd say you might want to admire him. There are things we learn about him in Scripture that I think are, are, are a great blessing and a great encouragement to us. And let's just go a few of two things. Uh, one is we can know about him that, that he had godly parents. Zechariah and Elizabeth, and we, we read about them in chapter 1 of Luke, verse 6. It says, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the, of the Lord. They were blameless. They had no children. They were, they were older. Just as the Lord had a hand in Jesus being born, he had a hand in John the Baptist being born. We sit there and think about him, and he had parents who, who were godly, parents who loved him, parents who were excited about the coming Messiah, how awesome it is to have parents who love God and point their children toward God. Verse 8 of chapter 1 says, Now when Zechariah, that's what we're talking about, was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense, uh, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. These words don't do justice to he was troubled. It means he was scared. He was in awe. Why? Because as he is going in and doing something, I would guess he has done a lot. What? Burning incense. He's one of the, the priests and goes in. A, a, an angel speaks to him. First time this has happened. It says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear your son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Talking about hearing something awesome about your child. What if somebody were to come and say, hey, you're about to have your child, and they're going to be an incredible athlete. That'd be, that'd be neat. So you're, you're going to have a child, and your child is going to grow up to be a doctor, and your, your child will be, have a part in curing cancer. You would be, that's the most exciting thing. What about an angel saying, your child's going to be faithful to God? He's going to lead people to Christ, and because of his work, many people 
will be Christ's followers and will follow God. That is what he has told. He's also told you will name him John. We're going to get into that in just a second. That's not the custom. Father's got to pick the name. Many times the name would be a family name, uh, would be picked out to follow him. That's not the case. It says, and also he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the disobedient and the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. He's saying his presence on earth is going to make people ready for the Messiah. What an incredible thought. Your child is going to make a spiritual difference in this earth. Can I ask you, are you praying that your children will make a spiritual difference on this earth? That they will have an impact spiritually. Not just praying for their safety, but maybe instead of praying for safety, we pray for our children's courage. That they'll stand up for what's right. That they'll be people who are about leading people for God. We see that here. What else do we learn about John? He was excited knowing that Jesus was coming. Mary went to tell her family member, Elizabeth, that, that she was with child. And guess what? When she got there, Elizabeth got to say, hey, I'm pregnant too. They get to share this time together. She'd been pregnant for about six months. They get to share and rejoice in this. Look at this in, in chapter 1, verse 39. Luke writes, in those days, Mary rose and went with haste to the hill country to a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, a baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Before John was born, he was excited that Jesus was coming. What an incredible thought, a, a thought of, of knowing this and, and changing everything about him. It said, and why should this be granted to, to me that mother of the Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment what the Lord has spoken to her from the Lord. He has a mother, John the Baptist has a mother and father. Who what? are excited about the coming king. Can you imagine this? You ever seen jealousy in families? Jealousy in siblings, jealousy in, in cousins, and, and you see like, that that's not here. His family is excited that the Messiah is coming and that Mary is, is going to give birth to this child through the Holy Spirit. He has a divinely given name when we're thinking about John. It says that uh, John means Jehovah is gracious. We call him John the Baptist. Probably John the Baptizer or Immerser is better because he was not a member of, of a certain, uh, of a denomination. That was not who he was. He was a baptizer. What he did was he preached a baptism of repentance and he did it so much he was given that name. What a great nickname. What a great nickname. What a great name to know that his name is what one, that God is gracious, why he has blessed this family who has prayed for a child with a child, and he has a message that the king is coming. He said, you will bear him a name 
His name will be John. That is a name that was told by an angel to his dad. You will name him this. It was interesting because people were like, why would you name him that? Verse 57 says, Now when it came time for Elizabeth to give birth, she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy on her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they would come to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But the mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. Have you noticed when you go to name a child, everybody has an opinion? And suggestions. That's not new. That is not new. And they, they're like, it's customary for this child to be named after his father to show that. See, Zechariah is, now, is not speaking. He has been struck mute at this time. And, and people are looking at him like, aren't you going to say something? Aren't you going to do something? Why would you name him John? Your wife's speaking crazy over here. He ought to be named after you. Why don't you say something? Verse 63 said, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote his name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loose, and he spoke, blessing God, and fear came over all the neighbors. And all the things were, were talked through in the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with them. Do you realize even in his birth, he's, incre he's increasing people's faith? He's increasing people's excitement about who God is and, and, and about the birth of Christ that is coming. He was born with a purpose. Every child, in one sense, is born with a purpose, to glorify God. That is why each one of us put on earth. We're made in God's image. We are to do things that shine a light on him. And, and we see his purpose here in verse 76. It said, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadows of death to guide our feet in our way of peace. He has a purpose to give knowledge of salvation, to let people know about the forgiveness of their sins, to give light to the dark. You think about that. To guide people's feet in the way of peace, that is why he came. So when the child grew, he became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. He waited until it was time to come out publicly and be a spokesman for Jesus. He had a purpose. And not only that, as a preacher, he had a sermon. He had one message that, that he would go around and preach. See, Luke chapter 1 seems to be quite a bit about, uh, about John. Chapter 2 is going to be a lot about Jesus. Back to chapter 3, we're going to get back into John. He has a message that says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea, and Herod being the Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the region of, of Idaria, we can go all the way through, we drop down. It says, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, we're going to read those names later, right? If we were to read about the crucifixion of Christ, these are the men who led 
to that? So the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He had this message. And his message was to proclaim Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God, that to preach that people repent and turn from what? To turn from Judaism to Christ, to realize, to say that what would happen? The Messiah that we have been waiting on. Now, is we, uh, we talked about this a little bit in our uh, Bible class this morning. To say that every Jew had the same view of what the Messiah would be is not necessarily true. Some were looking and they were waiting, and their view of the Messiah would be someone who would come down and set up an earthly kingdom here. Someone who would free them from slavery. Somebody who also would, would, would step on the throat of the Romans. And people had a different thought of what that Messiah would be. I, I'm going to guess they never thought that he would be the one that would come to save them from their sins. They would be looking for a, a physical change in their life versus the spiritual change the Messiah was going to bring. But when John came, he preached that. And he, he said he wanted to proclaim this repentance and, 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 and had a baptism of repentance and forgiveness. He had one message. and He preached it over and over and over again. I think about how incredible that message would be. This Wednesday night, my friend Keith Parker is going to be speaking. I'm excited for the Summer Faith Series. I think uh, uh, year 2000, somewhere, I think 2010, uh, Keith was the preacher at Hendersonville Congregation, and he had done a great job. He, he decided he would just preach meetings all the time, and so now he goes to about 40 to 45 congregations a year. And I always pick at him, it must be nice to have five sermons and preach them every week. Guess what? He's really good at those five. He's good at all of them. He's one of my favorite preachers and, and one of my mentors in preaching. John had one message. Look to Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. You need to repent. You need to be baptized. And forgiveness comes through him. And he had this mission in life that he would go through and he would want to share that with people and he would want people to know that that is who Jesus is and that would be his purpose. He said he was a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord and make its path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and every hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. It's in a person person of Jesus. As I said before, John didn't look like everybody else. John's dress was this, and Matthew 3 verse 4 says, now John wore a garment of camel hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all region around Jordan were going out to him and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. They were not coming to him because he was attractively dressed. He is who he is. He was doing everything by the power of God and his attention that he brought to himself, he wanted to put it all on Christ. 
He also was different than he was a Nazarite. We talk about that when we, but that's not a place you're from. We talk about that when it comes to Samson. There's a Nazarite vow that one could make, and it's a special vow. You can read about it in the book of Numbers chapter 6. They would separate yourself to God, and, and what happened is people would, would, would avoid wine or strong drink, that really anything that came from, from grapes, they would stay away from that. And also, it says no razor to his head, his hair would grow long, and they could not be around a dead body or touch a dead body. And what most people do, they would take this vow for a period of time. They say, all right, for the next 60 days, for the next 30 days, I'm going to abstain from these things and I'm going to devote my life more to God. See, John was set apart at his birth and his parents were told this is how it would be. Same thing as Samson. I'm going to guess John was more faithful to that. But we see that he was set apart. His dress, his look, it was different. And, and not only did he look different, he was bold in his presentation. Chapter 3, verse 7, he, he says, He said, therefore, to the, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into a fire while we stand and sing. He is letting it go. These people are coming to be baptized by him and he calls them a brood of vipers. I sit there and think about how nervous people are in the baptistry and how nervous people would be to be immersed and they come to him and he calls them a brood of vipers. He said there's crowds out here but he, he wants people to take it seriously. Don't just be one of a crowd. Make this decision because you are doing what? You're stepping away from Abraham as your father and savior to make God your father and savior and to put on Christ. He is sitting there having people go from you. must be looking at the Messiah. The Messiah is here. His presentation is bold. He says, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been uh, reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to all, and he locked him up in prison. He also bothered to tell somebody he shouldn't be, uh, be married to the person he's married to. He said he preached good news to people. He called people a brood of vipers, and he preached good news. What was the good news? The Messiah's coming. The Messiah's here. And him preaching and him being bold in his presentation ended him up in prison. I love when he talked to people. He, he talked to them about being practical and, and the way they changed their lives and what does it look like to do fruits worthy of repentance and what does it look like to have a changed life. And verse 10, it says, And the crowds asked him, What shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics, share with him who has none. Whoever has food, do likewise. Tax collectors came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers said, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Don't exhort money from anyone by threats and false accusation. 
and be content with your wages. He, he showed that what? Having a life that's changed has a life that changes. Very practical. This is, this is what you do. His life was, was about humility. In proclaiming Jesus and preaching repentance and forgiveness, he wasn't over there going, hey, look at me and look how great a preacher I am. Look how many people I have baptized. His, his view, you, you see here, verse 15, it says, and the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. What does he say? I'm not great. The one who's coming is great. He is greater. He is better. I'm not even worth be able to un undo his sandals. Can you imagine how easy it would be as John starts getting these crowds of people coming to him? And they start telling him, you must be the Messiah for him to go, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I want you to treat me different. I, I like all this attention, but that wasn't him. Why? Because he submitted himself to Christ. That's who he was. Verse 21 says, Now when all these people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He baptized Christ. But here's the thing, in Matthew chapter 3, a different view of that. It says, then Jesus came to Galilee by Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for you to do this, fulfill all righteousness. And, and he did what? He consented. Even though he didn't feel worthy to baptize Jesus, he consented. Why? Because Jesus told him to. Jesus told him to, and he said, all right, I'm going to let my life be in submission to whatever you have told me to do. His life was about pointing people to the Messiah. After John was in prison and he was going to be beheaded because of the selfishness of some, John had disciples and he wanted those disciples to, to make sure that they were following Jesus. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 18, it says, Then the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling to his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the one that is to come, or shall we look for another? And when these men had come to him, they said, John, the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one that is to come, or shall we look to another? In the hour he healed many with diseases and plagues and evil spirit, and many who were blind he bestowed sight. And Jesus answered them and said, Go tell John that what you have seen and heard, the blind have received their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. 
So what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. He goes on and he tells them about who John is. Even as John is getting to the point of his death, he wants to make sure his disciples are not focused on him. They're focused on the Messiah. And when they come to Jesus, Jesus shows them in his signs and his wonders what, that he is the Messiah. And when Jesus said, blessed are those who are not offended by me, who's he talking about? John. John's in jail because of him. John is preaching this message. It ends up leading him to, to lose his life. And he said, I'm blessed are the one who's not. What do we learn? I know I've sort of been a drinking from a fire hydrant tonight as we've gone through and taken in a lot. Let's just think of a few lessons that come from here. One, when we think about this, John 10, 40 and 41, then Jesus went back to cross the Jordan in a place where John the Baptist had been baptized in the early days. There he stayed. Many people came to him and they said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. John didn't perform miracles. The people believed him when he talked about the Savior. Why? First of all, I have to ask, am I preparing the way for people to meet Jesus or am I in the way? That's a big question. Because each one of us should be a conduit of, of God to be able for, for, for people to be able to see Jesus more clearly as we are made in his image, as we are to, supposed to be his hands and feet. Are we helping prepare the way for other people to come to Christ through the way we treat people, through the way that we teach, through the way that we talk, through the way that we act at work, at home, everywhere else? Or are we in the way? Can I tell you everything about John? He was preparing the way for the Messiah. We're supposed to be doing the same thing to be able to introduce people to Christ. Are we preparing the way? Are we in the way? Secondly, are we driven for souls or driven for self? It would have been so easy for John, so very easy for John to make it about him. When the crowds show up for him to baptize them, could he have said, don't you know who I am? I, 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 I'm, I, I'm John the, the, the baptizer. I, I'm this guy. I'm very, very important. And what did he do the whole time? There's a Messiah coming. Follow the Christ. His life was driven for souls. He wanted people to know who Jesus is, not driven for himself. And, and, and he did not get sidetracked. He lived a life that pointed people to Christ. I think thirdly, use the talents you have instead of focusing on the talent you don't. Isn't it amazing, again, that John had no miraculous ability that we read about that, that I could remember? I may have overlooked something, but I don't see that. Can you see him going, God, you gave Jesus this ability to heal people. Do you see how many more people I could reach? You know what, if I just had that ability, I could do something. But John did the best he had, the best he could with what he had. 
How many of us have said, if only, if, if only I could speak like that person, or if only I had that personality, or, or if only I had that opportunity, you know what, I could reach a lot of people. When John took, to, took who he was and lived out who he was and made the difference he made for Jesus. I think one thing that just is overwhelming is his submission to Jesus. Being willing to do whatever God had asked him to do, whatever Jesus had asked him to do, he, he was going to do that and live a life. He was not going to live a life of insubordination. That is refusing to do what God has called him to do. His life was a life of humility and submission, wanting God to get all the glory, pointing people to Him, but never stopping and trying to reach other people and hear, help them to hear the good news that the Messiah is here. The Messiah they've been waiting for is here, and that message was repeated over and over and over again that people need to repent, and they need to, to do what? To come to Him. His life was about pointing people to Jesus. That's what our life should be, about pointing people to Jesus. And one of my prayers is that we live in a way that when people see us, they see him. When people think about Christianity, when people think about that, when, one, one thing it is, when they know that someone is a representative of Christ, that they are a Christian, they start looking to see, where do I see Christ in them? And many of them will de develop their own theology about Christ through the Christians they meet. And I tell you, in some ways, that's, that's pretty awesome because there's some people I would like them to meet. We all know some Christians who are incredibly kind and generous and compassionate. And we want to be those people that make a difference in our life is about pointing people to Christ. John went around spreading good news, and that good news of the Messiah is here. And guess what? He's here. I don't know if you did before we started, but I, I hope you admire John the Immerser. When you look at someone who, who had this determination for people to see the Savior and never got so caught up in, in, in their own abilities or their own wants or whatever else, that their life was spent doing that, I think. Wow, that is someone I admire and someone that I want to be like. Because this is what Jesus said about John. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. And then he turns around and says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. the one who's a servant, the one who is a follower of Christ. When I think about this, I, I think about admiring him, but I think about what he spent his life doing was pointing people to Jesus. Tonight, can we point you to him? Can we point you to the Messiah who, who, who loves you and who cares for you and who died on a cross for you, who came to this world so that you could be saved and that you would have a, a life, an eternal life with him? Tonight, can we point you to him? And if you're ready to walk toward him in faith and want to be baptized, we want to help you with that tonight. Or maybe tonight that you're hurting, you're struggling, you're saying, you know what? I want to be pointed to Christ. Some of us may want to ask for forgiveness. Some of us may just want to say, hey, 
I need this church family to pray for me tonight, and we would love to do that. Tonight, if we can help you to walk more closely with Christ and to go toward him, would you come now while we stand and while we sing?